0: Bismillah In the name of God, most merciful, ever merciful, and may God's peace and blessings be upon his holy prophet Muhammad and the purified members of his household and progeny. Allahumma salli ala Muhammadin wa ali Muhammad wa ajjil Brothers, sisters, dear respected viewers, Assalamu alaikum alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And thank you for joining us to this latest uh, lecture in our series Uh, regarding the very important topic of the afterlife. Um, As you remember, the way we've structured these uh, lectures is that we began with a general introduction in which we presented the topic from the point of view of its importance to completing our worldview. So, in order to before embarking on the topic of the afterlife, we wanted to understand why do we need to spend time, to invest our time trying to understand this topic, given that this is one more of these topics where perhaps one would think that a certain 100% sure answer may not be available. So we began with, A quick exploration of the importance of the topic and during that time we basically said that one's worldview a human beings worldview becomes incomplete if they do not reach answers regarding the topic of the afterlife if I do not know if I do not determine for myself how am I going to deal with my own death And what happens after my death, my worldview, the manner in which I understand my place in the world is going to be incomplete. It's going to be lacking. There's going to be gaps and holes in it. So when we say worldview, of course, we said this is the manner through which we understand the world. We interpret the world and our place in it. And this is also going to dictate and determine and give direction to how we behave. So it becomes a manner of understanding the world. So this is more of a theoretical, abstract, ideological level. And it also, at a more practical level, this is what is going to give orientation and give going to give direction to every action that I perform in my life, because there's a decision that has been made with regards to my ultimate destiny what happens to me and where am I headed and we said this falls into the more general higher level uh, notion of the world view in the sense of the three big existential questions that a human being is always struggling with where am I coming from where did I come from and we said the short answer to this is God what am I doing here and the short answer to this is religion and prophethood and Where am I going? And the topic of the afterlife is the one that addresses this last of the three questions. The idea from this entire uh, series is that we start understanding and we start exploring that world that awaits us from the moment of death onwards. We want to understand what type of world it is. We want to understand the type of relationship that exists between this world in which we currently live today through these bodies and the next world. How are they similar? How are they different? And how am I supposed to live my life right now in order to best prepare for what's coming? But before we do that, we said that there's one topic that it would make sense to uh, explore and address before we go too far into that topic. Because what we're trying to do is to provide an answer to it that is going to be relevant and useful to us as we go along in the rest of the series. And that topic is the topic of the soul. Depending on the position I take, depending on the answer I have to the topic of the soul, do we have a soul and what is its nature and what are the proofs, what's the evidence, what are the arguments for whatever claims I may have about the soul, then it's going to entirely change what happens to the answers I want to give about death and what happens after death to me and to every other human being. And so before jumping into the topic of the afterlife itself, which inshallah we are going to start doing today, we wanted to spend a little bit of time understanding the topic of the soul and reaching some sort of conclusion that is going to be used throughout the rest of the series. And so we split this into a few lectures. And uh, we split this into a few topics. The first one had to do with trying to understand what do we mean when we say the soul? What is it that we're trying to say? And generally speaking, we said that the soul, in short, is that which provides the unity to all of your experience of life. So when you say soul, it is that uh, immaterial aspect of your being a dimension, a realm, a perspective, an aspect of you that is basically allowing you to become one, to become a unit, that which provides unity to your existence. And, you know, we're not going to repeat what we said about the fact that human beings are in this body, this body that is constantly changing, and our experiences in life are constantly changing. So, what allows us to say, what allows us to feel? that this is actually one unit that is traveling through time and space and that the person you were 10 years ago is still the same as you are today and will be in 20 years. So is it anything beyond this body or not? And what are the arguments on both sides and so on and so forth. The second uh, way to understand the soul we said is basically that which gives you your identity. So who you truly are. When you say I, in the sense of who you truly are, You are your soul, you are not your body. The body is the tool, the instrument that you have to go through this world, to go through this uh, the material dimension of this world. You do need a material tool, an instrument, uh, without which your soul is absolutely paralyzed, incapacitated, and cannot do anything or exist in this world. And so, this was the first a uh, quick topic that we wanted to address, which is the nature of the soul. The second topic is now that we understand what we mean by the soul, what are the main arguments to explain this nature? And in short, the main arguments for the immateriality of the soul, that there is a dimension to our being, to our existence that is not this body, that is beyond this body. And we provided a number of uh, kind of uh, simple, simpler, uh, arguments to this uh, to this notion uh, and we explored both arguments from reason as well as arguments from the scripture going through a number of verses from the holy quran which by now we have clearly established is a scripture a book a message from allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and therefore we can rely on the validity of its arguments and so with that we kind of pre- presented both the rational and the scriptural or religious Uh, arguments for the existence of the soul and the nature of the soul. And so we concluded that the soul is the immaterial (coughs) dimension uh, of your existence that will continue to exist after you pass on, you pass away from this world. And this is going to be the entity or the dimension that we are going to be concentrating on as we start talking about the afterlife and what awaits us in the afterlife given the interest and the relevance of this topic to, you know, what we currently experience and hear and feel and, and see going on in the world. We also thought that it would be relevant and worth it and important to spend a little bit of time understanding what contemporary thinkers have said about the soul, especially from the more materialist point of view. And the reason for this is that perhaps what we presented constitutes more of the classical, traditional way of addressing this topic when the truth is that over the past uh, couple of generations, there has been a tremendous amount of work done uh, in neuroscience and all related fields where uh, increasingly there are claims where uh, the uh, idea of the mind or what is the mind and who we truly are as human beings uh, are v- explored in much more depth in much more uh, precision uh, with much more sophisticated tools. And of course, those are always accompanied with the theories that go with them. Uh, and so we went through the alternative that uh, you know, if we are saying that one version of understanding a human being is the one that we presented, Which is that there is an immaterial dimension to who we are and that this is a dimension or the part of us that actually represents our true identity and which justifies or explains our uh, us as a unit or a unity Uh, the alternative to that is that we adopt a materialist point of view which basically says that we are nothing more than this body and so when we come to who we truly are we are nothing more than Uh, the brain, the actual material brain in our cranium and the uh, very complex and sophisticated uh, biochemical processes that take place and electric uh, processes that take place within this brain and nothing more. And so we went to uh, some of the big thinkers in that field and we quoted a number of them to basically establish the consequences of this thinking that very clearly anyone who adopts this thinking uh, can only conclude, can only accept the fact that uh, there is no more uh, space for accepting something like a having a free will. And even the notion of having, uh, being conscious and self-aware uh, basically is presented as being nothing more than an illusion uh, that is played on us by our own brains. Uh, and so there's different ways of explaining this uh, as we saw, but the bottom line is that those very crucial and two big I- items or objects or, or topics, uh, and themes that they, which relate to uh, who we are as human beings uh, are completely changed, transformed, given the, the, the answer that we give to these questions. Are we anything more than the material body in which we happen to be or not? And so with all of this in mind, what we wanted to do, and of course, always depending on the level of interest, Uh, that uh, you know we see from the the viewers and the participants Uh, we always have the possibility of exploring any of these topics further the idea today is that we actually begin by looking at now the topic of the afterlife so this uh, you know bracket that we opened around the soul uh, and what is its nature what are the main arguments for that nature for its immateriality uh, and what is the alternative the materialist alternative Uh, we can close that bracket now and go back to the uh, main topic at hand which is the topic of the afterlife. So the big question that we wanted to ask today is, uh, you know, given everything that we have said, what are some of the arguments to establish that there is an afterlife? And what we're trying to do today is to provide a first argument for this uh, claim, for the claim that there not only is an afterlife, but that an afterlife is necessary. We cannot have this type of existence, this type of uh, system of being, which we are experiencing and living in, without having an afterlife that accompanies it. So today, inshallah, is going to be a first. Uh, There will at least be two, perhaps three uh, lectures in all to provide the arguments, uh, to explain the not only why there is an afterlife, but why there must be an afterlife. So not only uh, that an afterlife will actually happen, but that it must happen, given the type of world that we see today, the type of nature that we find in ourselves and what we know and what we have presented uh, about the nature of God of Allah Subh'anaHu Wa taala until now. So as we said, we are going to begin with the first argument. And this first argument is going to be uh, a rational argument uh, and it will be followed by another version of a national argument uh, a rational argument inshallah in the next time uh, in the next lecture and depending on the time afterwards we're going to move to the more scriptural arguments that have to do with uh, not only the actual occurrence and happening of the afterlife but its necessity. So this first argument is going to be relying on the attribute of divine wisdom. So for those of you who were with us from the beginning uh, in this entire series, uh, there was a time when we presented the topic of the existence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and that this was followed by a series of lectures on uh, the topic of the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa Ta-A'la. And we said that it's important to do that because it's one thing to believe in the existence of a God, of, a, of, an, of some sort of uh, absolute and eternal entity uh, that transcends this world. But it's also important to understand what type of God we're talking about. Not everybody who believes in a God is going to believe in the same type of uh, entity. Uh, and so we spend... Enough time, I think, to talk about the main attributes of the God that we believe in and which we, we believe is entirely based on reason uh, as we presented. One of those attributes was the attribute of divine wisdom. And we're not going to repeat now everything we said at that point. Uh, what we said in very short is that when we say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala acts, which obviously he does, since we exist when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala acts when this god performs an action this action has a purpose now we're not going to go into all the details those were presented on why is there a purpose and what do we mean by a purpose the only point that is i think important to emphasize is that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala acts he acts with purpose it's not a random act for no reason but the reason no matter how you spin it, from the point of view of the human being, from a human reason, when we say reason, how we understand or perceive reason is always for our own benefit. When we talk about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, a a self-sufficient entity, there is no reason for him to act in any shape or form for his own benefit. That will never be the case. So the benefit is always going to be reaped by the creatures other actions that he has performed, other creations, uh, uh, other entities that exist. Those are going to be the ones that reap the benefits of the purposes behind the acts of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So with that in mind, when we look at the entire existence of the system in which we live, so the existence of the universe, what we said is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not only creates with purpose, but it must also be the type of God who also cre- who creates with maximum perfection. So whatever purpose he is aiming to achieve is always going to be the maximum perfection or the maximum, let's call it completeness behind that purpose, that's one 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 aspect or one dimension or one point to keep in mind about the type of world in which we live in but with that while we keep that in mind if we look at the type of world we in which we exist we see that it is a world made up of competing priorities competing interests and this is just the type of world that it is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the god that we believe in While on the one side, when he acts, he will always act with maximum purpose and maximum perfection in his purpose. At the same time, he has created a world that has competition, a world that has limits, a world that those entities that exist within it are always rivals, are always in competition. There is a struggle that is always going on. And this is the nature of In short, this is the nature of matter. This is the nature of a material world. So the moment you say matter, you're saying material entities, you're saying limitations, you're saying competition, struggle uh, and rivalry between those beings of those existence. Does it mean that there was some sort of lack or error or incapacity, inability on the part of the God that created this type of world? Absolutely not, what it means is that he decided specifically to create this type of world and this is all part of the purpose. So while he creates a world that in our eyes may look like it has incompleteness or gaps or that there is rivalry and competition and even conflict within it, and this is all what we usually human beings from our own perspective may refer to as evil, this is all as part of the purpose and so the purpose behind this world is that you go through these difficulties and these struggles because those are going to constitute the test and the measure of you applying your free will and the merit of your entity you as a human being that you're going to receive is based on your discipline, your ability, your freedom of will, as it's applied through these struggles, through this type of world in which you live. This is all, you know, the, the, in short, what we presented when we talked about divine wisdom. So once this refresher is clear in our minds, now we want to ask the big question. Our topic is the afterlife. When we look at one specific entity, the human being, because that's the one that's relevant to us. When I look at a human being, do I feel that when I look at the type of creature that it is, is it a type of creature that can actually reach its full potential in this world or not? So we said when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala acts, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates, he creates with purpose. And because of the type of God that he is, he is capable, he has absolute power, he has absolute knowledge. There is no way, no reason for him not to give maximum perfection. Except that when you look at the type of world in which we live, you see that the maximum perfection or completeness of purpose, is it possible to attain it or not in this world? for me as a human being, for the type of entity that I am, am I actually capable of reaching a full potential in this world, given the type, the nature of entity that I am, which is a human being or not? That's the question. And so if the conclusion to this answer is not, when I look at a human being, I see that they are, there is no way for a human being to ever be able to reach their full potential, there is no way for a human being to ever reach complete perfection, complete uh, completeness. You are never going to be able to reach the full purpose for what you were created. If you continue to exist in this world, then basically you're saying that this is contrary. You're basically saying that this is contrary to divine wisdom. That the purpose for which you were created is unattainable. That God created you with a purpose that can never be reached. And so this is against divine wisdom. So if you believe in divine wisdom, then you have to find a way to realign your understanding of yourself and your nature and your needs as a human being with the state of the world and what you can do and what you can do as a human being, what you can reach as a human being. So if we wanna look at this reality, this nature of a human being, a little bit more specifically. If I look at a human being, first and foremost, big question, and we're gonna come back to that. As we said, the human being has a soul. The human being aspires to eternity. And the human being has a dimension within them that can exist beyond the body. That's the first point to keep in mind. If the end of your existence is now going to be limited to when your body dies, then this basically means that you have potential that is left without any means, any way of reaching it. So Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala gave you An ability gave you a potential, a possibility, but closed the door on you for you to be able to reach that possibility in full, which is, for instance, living beyond death, especially then because there is a dimension in you, which we have proved now, that can exist beyond the existence of your body. Okay, so that's one point to keep in mind. So now we're exploring the nature of the human being. Another aspect to look at when we look at human beings is we look at them, we start exploring their psychology. If you look at the desires, if you look at the needs and wants of human beings, you will see that those things that are spiritual and psychological, and there is more, but let's limit ourselves to those. You will notice that they are infinite in the human being. If a human being really desires to attain knowledge, if a human being really desires to attain a perfection, if a human being really loves, and so on and so forth, that desire is never going to be fulfilled in this world. And in short, because we could spend a very long time talking about this topic, in short, it's because of the nature of this world. If you have an infinite desire, and what you have access to is always limited and finite, then that desire is never going to be fulfilled in full. It's always going to be partial. There are desires that we have that can be fulfilled to some to some extent, for instance, you're hungry, you eat, the desire goes away. But those are, that's why we mentioned desires that are more psychological, more spiritual. Those desires cannot be fulfilled in full in completeness in this world because we don't have access to anything that is infinite and absolute in this world. This is a world of limitations then you wonder why would Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put in the human being place in human beings a desire that is infinite and not give them a way to fulfill that infinite desire if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala truly did that then we could say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wa wa lacks wisdom He's not efficient he is not effective in his creation he gives more than what is needed Okay, and so in short, this is the summary of the argument. When we say the afterlife is a necessity, one of the arguments from reason to say that there needs to be, there has to be an afterlife is that if we look at the creation of the human being, the human soul, its nature, its desires, its needs, we see that they go way beyond what is available to fulfill those needs in this world therefore there must be another world which allows a human being to fulfill those needs otherwise those needs become without purpose otherwise Allah becomes an inefficient or ineffective creator which goes against divine wisdom so The examples to this, for instance, one example is that there's a lot we can say here, but a quick couple of of examples here. The first one is, um, let's say you want to build a building, and you have the means, you have the power, uh, except that that building, what you need from it is something very limited. And so you decide to build a 10 story building. So you build your building of 10 stories, but you build it in such a way where anyone who can ever, who will ever need to use that building is going to only use the first floor. And you don't provide any means for those who are in the building to use any of the other floors. There is no way out of the first floor, but you've created, you've designed and created 10 floors. Anyone who looks at what you've done Let's say that you're not very efficient, you're not very effective, what you've created, the design that you have put in place and the creation that you have put in place does not align 100% with the purpose. The purpose that you had for that building was going to be entirely fulfilled with the first floor. So why did you create nine other floors? And not only did you create nine other floors, you did not provide any means for anyone To be able to ever use them. And this is where you say, okay, so this is lacking wisdom. There's a problem here between the function, the need, and the purpose, and what you've actually put in place. Okay, so that's one example. Another example, if we look at this, is to say, and one can can ask this question, why would Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala create this type of world? Why would Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala create a world where you have all this unfulfilled need, unfulfilled desire as you go through it, and you're never able to fully reach what you're aspiring to reach? And yet all of this is supposed to be part of the wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Perhaps, and this is to bring it more to practical more practical dimension for ourselves is to say that this is one of the indications for us people who want to live a reflected well-reflected life as you're going through life and you notice that everything that is supposed to be a pleasure everything that is supposed to be a fulfillment of a need a fulfillment of a desire you will notice that it's never going to ever be full and pure. No matter what you look at in this world, no matter what pleasure and what fulfillment of need that you have is always going to be incomplete. It always comes at a price. It always comes at a cost. There's always a side effect. There's always a loss because this is the type of world that it is. And why is it this type of world? This is perhaps a reminder from Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta-A'la, to make it easier for us to see this world for what it truly is. So that we always, when we're going through this life, through this world, we always keep in mind that we were not created for this world. And even those things that may look like they're very seductive and good and pleasurable and desirable in this world, even those things are not really 100% what we're looking for and they always come at a price even the example that they always give even if you look at a rose a tulip you're going to get the thorn if you touch it wrong enter into your skin no matter what you look at in this world you're going to see that it's either incomplete or that it comes at a certain price and this is a constant reminder for those who know how to look and to understand how this world is created So that it's one additional reminder to you from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that this world was never meant to be your eternal dwelling place forever and ever or that which becomes the one thing that you concentrate on and focus on and look at because it's never going to be able to provide to you in a way that fulfills your desires and needs entirely. But the short answer to this is not that therefore the creation of god is without wisdom or that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can't or doesn't want to it's that this is not the end of all creation of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala there has to be another world there has to be another dimension given what allah has put in us the infinite desire that we have there needs to be another dimension another world in which that desire is going to be entirely fulfilled and it cannot be in this world because this world does not allow for this type of fulfillment okay and so here is the contrast they say if you look at this on one side and you want to contrast it with the idea that what happens if there is no afterlife what does this world look like the example that we can have in mind is like the case of a driver sitting in a car. So you have someone who has a very nice beautiful brand new car they sit in and the car has needs. A car needs fuel, the car needs its tires changed from time to time, it needs its oil changed from time to time, it needs its brakes changed from time to time and so on and so forth. So imagine that our brand new driver, happy with his new car, gets in the car and starts driving. And he drives until he runs out of gas. So he's basically driving to the next gas station where he gets to refuel. And he does that for long enough until he needs to change his tires, and he needs to change his brakes, and he needs to change his oil. And he does that. And this goes on for a very long time so he drives from one gas station to another and from one mechanic to another over very long periods of time always looking for the next fueling station always looking for you know where he can change the parts of his car as needed and that's it that's the story this is what life would look like without an afterlife we have needs we have desires we have wants if this life is all there is we're basically saying we're going from one station to another fulfilling those needs that we have you need security you need money you need food you need water you need a family you need a community fine and so you're, everything that you're doing is to fulfill those needs okay how are you different from this driver who is basically driving aimlessly this is a cycle that just keeps repeating itself you have a need you go meet that need but that need is not going to anything beyond that specific need that you just fulfilled and so a life where you have needs that are being partially met you have a a type of soul or nature where there are needs that are constantly met and then need more to be met. And you can continuously stay in that cycle, trying to meet those needs, moving on from one station of life to another, one part of life to another, one activity of life to another, and that's it. So if you look at the desires and the needs and the nature of a human being, and you limit them to this world, this is what it's going to look like. You're basically moving in life from one activity to another, one station to another, fulfilling those needs as best you can, and going on to continue to fulfill those needs. For what other purpose? Nothing. Okay? And so that's why we said, even those who have looked at these examples, they say, the fact, that big philosophers and big thinkers who have looked at this, the ones who have rejected the idea of the afterlife, they say that this is the case that we have as human beings living in this world is a lot more problematic than the case of the driver in the car. Because the problem is that in this life, it's not as simple as you need a bit of gas, you go and put the gas in. There, gas comes at a price. There's a a constant struggle in life the others are hell as some of the philosophers have said there is a struggle that happens within you a very deep struggle that you're always going through in life and this is the more psychological you know philosophy and the Carl Jung's and the Sigmund Freud's of the world have spent a lot of time exploring and then you have all the struggles that you have with other human beings and how do you negotiate your existence with them and your desires with them and so on and so forth. And then you have all the material problems of this world from the food to the money, to the health, to the comfort, to, 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 and life goes on. So the situation of human beings in this world falls in this category of even when there is pleasure, it's not really an absolute uh, perfect type of pleasure. It's always coming at a price. There's always side effects and this has led a lot of philosophers, especially those who do not believe that there's anything that happens after we die, has led them to different schools of thought to deal with the meaninglessness of life. Some of them have called it absurdism, the absurdity of life, the absurdity of our existence the absolute purposelessness. You have no purpose, you are without purpose in this world. You have no direction where you're going. And you know, this was, I don't wanna take too long, so I'm gonna put this topic aside, but if there's interest, we can dedicate one topic, one lecture to perhaps at least presenting an overview of some of the ideas that have come up from these philosophers and how they have completely hit a wall it's a dead end. When you let go of an afterlife, you've basically removed any direction, any orientation to the life of a human being, and therefore it has no meaning. So how have they tried to find meaning? And you know, the, to the, the the, perhaps the best philosophers in this area are Nietzsche and the philosophers who have worked around and with his ideas. He is the one who actually took it to its end, who accepted the logical conclusions. And then, you know, you have the type of system that you have and inshallah maybe one day we can explore that and see what does it mean in terms of human beings trying to find meaning for their existence if they reject the idea of an afterlife. But in short, it's that the life of a human being becomes absurd. We're not like an animal, you know, Yeah. The, the, the caterpillar or the, uh, the zebra and the savannah, I don't think he's really thinking about the existential questions that we're thinking about. Why are we here? Why, what am I doing here? And what happens after I die? But a human being is stuck with that. He needs to deal with those, otherwise they create turmoil. You may make yourself psychologically sick and create anxiety in yourself or fall in a depression This is the extent to which these questions are important to a human being. Of course, depending on their level of maturity and the depth of their mind and so on and so forth, where you are in your life and what are your priorities. But when you concentrate on those questions, you need answers to them. Human beings need answers to those. And if the answers fail to provide meaning to your life, then you have an issue. So this is what we're trying to, to, uh, to see here. So, This same topic, the topic of if you believe in a God that has wisdom, we can present it in another way. If you believe in a God that has wisdom and you look at the nature of a human being, and that's why I said, I mentioned it, I wanted to come back to it. One of the most important attributes, traits, characteristics of the human being is that we want to live forever. We want eternal existence. And if you read the theories and the writings of some very big thinkers, those who have really spent a lot of time trying to understand human beings, they all say that everything we do in life, consciously sometimes, most of the time unconsciously, what we're trying to do is to extend our selves, Beyond our death. Because we don't want to die. One of the reasons why we want to have children. One of the reasons why we want to build things and create things. Is that those things are going to remain. We provide a name to ourselves that lasts longer than the 50 or 70 or 90 or 200 years that may, we may live in this world. Everything human beings do is about their eternal existence But the truth is no matter how you look at it there is no eternal existence in this world So this becomes one of those traits that if you look at a human being you're going to see That it's impossible to fulfill in this world Just like we said we have a number of desires and we talked you know Generally, let's talk specifically one of those desires is the desire to exist forever Why would Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put a desire in you that you can never fulfill? If that were truly the case Then you would say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Is not really the wise God that he that I thought he is This is not a wise God that would put in you things that you can never attain, that you can never fulfill, you can never satisfy, right? I give you things that you can never use. I put in you a desire to something and I never give you the access to reach that something. Well, unless there is a very good reason for that, this is not with wisdom. So you don't know how to create in a way that it meets the purpose, you're creating more than what the purpose is if the purpose is only this life and this in general this type of argument that when we look at a human being we see that they have desires that are beyond what they can fulfill and attain in this world this is usually called the argument from desire it has a lot of versions but once you know how they're built you'll see that They're all examples of each other. So in Greek philosophy, this has, you know, 2000, 2500 years of history. They used to say nature does nothing in vain. In what sense? Let's say you look at an animal and you find something in them and you're not really understanding why is it there? Well, they had that as a principle it's not random it's not useless there is a reason for it to be there just keep looking and you're gonna understand it nature does nothing in vain does nothing for no reason for someone who believes in god you're going to say god does nothing in vain if allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now to come back to our argument if allah has put in you a desire for eternity god does not do anything in vain It's not to torture you with a desire that you can't reach. He's put it in there for a reason. He's put it in there for the reason that there is an afterlife. And this is what allows you to move in that direction, to run after it. Otherwise, he wouldn't have made that a desire in you. Okay? Some people have criticized this argument, so that's why you have the the key here. The key is, If you hear people criticizing this argument that they say the argument from desire doesn't work, there's weakness in it. Yeah, there is a a type of weakness in it, but the key is make sure you concentrate on the idea that if something has been put in you, a desire has been put in you, it's not necessary that everyone who has a desire is able in the sense that will fulfill that desire. That's not necessary. All that's necessary for this argument to work is to say that the ability to fulfill the desire is there. That's the wisdom of God. The difference is, the first one is basically if God put a desire in me, then I must reach, I must attain the desirable object Otherwise, Allah is not wise. No, that's, that's false. That's not the argument. It's not that every single person who has a, any desire, they have to reach that desire fully for the argument to work. Because we live in a world where God has given us free will and he has given us different capacities and he, we are of different disciplines. So someone may decide not to run after a desire and someone else will decide to run after it. And someone will reach 20% and another person will reach 80% of that. So long as God is not preventing anyone and he has created that bridge for you, that access for you, then it's up to you to use it or not. The point is, if a desire exists in you, Do you have a manner, a way of reaching it or not? If God has put that way in place, that's it. He is a wise creator. And the rest falls into the kind of system that he has created in this world. Okay, so that's kind of the more, let's say uh, sophisticated version of the argument. So if we look at this desire in a human being, the desire to exist forever, the only possible, without going through all the arguments, the only possible answer left, the only logical explanation for having this desire to live forever is going to be an afterlife. If there is an afterlife, then that afterlife has to be eternal. Therefore, the desire that I have in this life which is going to remain in the afterlife is not going to be met in this life. It's going to be met in the afterlife. Or, you know, my spiritual existence, which continues to exist beyond this world, is that which is going to reach this desire. Otherwise, this desire is going to remain unfulfilled. And then we fall in the same problem. So, why is that desire there? Okay, so this is one example of the argument from desire. So, to summarize all of this, the idea that if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates, He creates with wisdom and purpose. If we look at human beings, we find in ourselves all sorts of desires and needs that can never be fully fulfilled in this world. They will be partially ful- fulfilled, but we will always feel that they are incomplete. The fulfillment is incomplete. No matter what desire you look at, no matter what you run after in this life, you are going to want more of it and it will not be there. You will never be able to fulfill that. Imam Ali, for instance, he has a saying in which he says, there are two people who will never be feeling satisfied. Those who run after money and those who run after knowledge. No matter how much money you have, will you not want more? You'll want more, because it's not really the material money that you want. This is a a deep internal thing inside of you that basically translates unconsciously to you that this is what's good for you. This is what's helping you reach higher levels of perfection. So one person is going to say it's through knowledge. Another is going to say through power. Another is going to say it's through money. No matter what you go after, those things you can never reach in a way that says okay this is enough I'm I'm fully fulfilled here you're not fully fulfilled those are not things that can be fully fulfilled in this world okay so that's the first part the second part is we can split that apart the desire for eternal life so the desire for eternal life that we find in human beings which can again not be fulfilled in this world so therefore if we look at everything we've presented, this is an argument based on the attribute of divine wisdom. We taught when we presented divine wisdom, was you know a while back, we said that it's going to be very important for what comes later. Now we're talking about it. Which is, if you understand not only God, but his attributes, so in this case, Hikmah, divine wisdom, then you see that Not only is this world created in a certain way, but it has to be created in a certain way that leads to the afterlife as a matter of necessity. It's not there there can be an afterlife or that there will be an afterlife. No, the afterlife is necessary. If this world exists and it does, then there is an afterlife. Otherwise it would not exist or not exist in this way with these desires that we find in ourselves. And the reason, the short answer is because God is wise or divine actions have purpose, okay? And of course, it goes without saying inshallah, this part is clear that of course, for this argument to work, it means that the afterlife does not suffer from the same limitations from the same issues and problems that we have in this world. So if this world is a world where your desire is never fully met, the afterlife cannot be like that because otherwise we're just repeating the same problem. So all those infinite desires that you have, all those infinite needs that are going to be unmet no matter what in this world, they must be attainable there must be a potential way for you to meet them in the afterlife. Okay, so this is starting to give us answers to questions we said we would start exploring, which is what's the nature of the afterlife? Well, one of the natures, one of the traits and characteristics of the afterlife is that it's not going to be a world of limitations like we have in this world, a world where everything is in conflict. If I take something, it means I'm giving something. It's not like that. It's a different type of world. So, no limitations. It can be a world of no struggles. It can be a world of no difficulties, and so on and so forth. This we keep to the next time. And that is all we have for today. So, for the lecture part, we are done. And of course, anyone is free to leave at this point. So anyone who is with us uh, on any of the streams, you wanna use the chat or anyone who is here, any questions, concerns, comments about anything we said today, previous weeks or anything else, please go ahead. Do you have an example or no? Do you want me to give an example? Um, Well, I have two examples. The first one is the desire to live eternally. I imagine that this means that the athlete must be eternal or must be unlimited in this time. It must go on forever. But stuff like unlimited knowledge, the desire for unlimited knowledge, how can that ever be met? So, this is where the short or, or the question is. If we live in the afterlife we're basically saying that there na- there needs to be ways to meet things that it seems to us that would be illogical to meet in the sense that they are infinite the idea in the afterlife of course not everything is of the same nature okay inshallah we're going to talk about that in, in more detail there are things in the afterlife it's not that you are going to uh fulfill those desires of of yours as a human being in a way that is absolute and uh complete or perfect for everyone this is going to be entirely based on who you are in this life and what you're providing for yourself in the afterlife while you're living here that's one two the two is that the reward that we are going to get in the afterlife, the level one, let's say there's two or more levels of reward, the reward slash punishment, okay? So I'm including everything under reward. The consequences of our actions in the afterlife. There's one layer which is basically it's one to one. So you do one, you receive one in return. And even that requires a lot of explanation, and inshallah, we're going to give it. But then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that those who enter paradise, He will make sure that it's not one to one. There is no one to one in paradise, otherwise, you wouldn't even make it to paradise. There is one to seven, there is one to ten, there is one to seven hundred. And then there is one multiplied by whatever God wants, as he says, as he says in the Quran. Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta-A'la is going to multiply by much more than the 700. So if you've worked to receive a type of knowledge that is only accessible in the afterlife, and you've worked to a certain degree and based on the effort you put in and the sincerity of your act, you're getting 700 folds or more. You're starting to see the potential here. Beyond that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also tells us, and greater than all of that reward that you get is going to be the satisfaction of God. That you are going to be happy with God and you will know that God will be happy with you. And from a lot of verses and a lot of hadith, we get the impression that this is what's going to be fulfilling you completely in the afterlife and in this life this is what it does to people who really turn their attention to god someone who starts having a relationship of love with god not everybody can do that it takes work you need to spend time understanding god and if you focus on god What this gives you is a relationship of love, which is different than a relationship of knowledge. Some people have a relationship of God that's theoretical. You know, God exists, you know, these are his attributes, completely different type of relationship than a lover. When you're in a relationship with a lover, that relationship is completely different than a theoretical understanding of who that person is. This is not theory, this is not you know, abstract notions and ideas. This is a feeling that you have. The difference between loving God and loving anything else. This is the key. And inshallah, this will dedicate lectures to this. It's a very important topic. But in short, the difference between loving God and loving anything else, the biggest difference, is that anything else you are going to love you're going to be in a relationship where you're subjected to that love. You're subjecting yourself to depend on something else. You are making yourself a servant of that, which you love, which is fine. Now compare that with making yourself, which is not making yourself. I will say it now in another way which recognizing your servitude to God, your nature, by nature, the only place where you should be feeling that servitude is towards God, where you're fully submitted and you want to be fully submitted. In a way, I, I don't wanna say it in too harsh words because you know it, it creates bad thoughts and ideas and this takes a long time to explain it in a, crunching it quickly, but basically in one way you are making yourself, putting yourself in a degrading position or relationship to anything else that you love. You're lowering your status. You're removing of your integrity, of your independence, of your self-sufficiency by loving, by wanting something outside of you. Any love relationship is going to cause that no matter what you're loving, whether it's a person or it's a thing, except God. And this takes a while to understand because it requires you understanding who God is. But if you understand that God is one, your creator, the one who holds your being, not just your body, all of your being into existence, and that God is absolute and infinite, Anything that you will love has an end. And your capacity to love as a human being is infinite. No matter what you love is going to be limited. No matter what you're going to love is going to be constrained. Except God. So no matter how much love you put in, there's still more to love. But you can reach a fulfillment of your love. But that requires you understanding what it means to when we say God is infinite. And that there is an infinity for you to love, which there isn't with anything else. And that's why you're always going to be in a relationship of servitude to anything that you love. So in the case of anything else, it kind of becomes a negative. In the case of God, it basically brings you back to your true fitrah. It puts you back in your natural state of truly loving that which is the only thing that is worthy of your entire love. And the only thing that can actually fulfill it. Anything else is going to keep you hungry, is going to keep you wanting something more with God, you will be fully fulfilled. And this can be experienced to a certain degree in this world, but it's full experiencing can only happen in the afterlife. That proximity to God is going to be completely different in the afterlife. In theory, what it means is you understand, in this world, we're stuck through means. For me to understand God, I have to go through the means, through signs. I look at nature. I have to study biology and then chemistry and understand the cause and effect. And with time, I get to God. The difference in the afterlife is that you see the action of God directly. The nearness of God is of a different kind. Okay, so inshallah, I'm gonna stop at this. Shall it gave some hints and indications, uh, but the big idea is one, depending on what you love or what you desire or what you want, the afterlife will allow you to reach it. Two, not everybody is gonna get the same ability to reach because not everybody put in the same amount of work and sincerity in this life, but in theory, those who have, Allah subhanahu wa taala has ensured that those who put in the work will get a lot more and you will see that there was an infinity available to you. Now, whether you put in the work to get it or not, that's a different argument. But what was available to you is an infinity of being able to fulfill completely what you're looking for, your true nature. And that's why one of the names of Yom Al-Qiyamah is Yom Al-Hasra, the day of regret. Because no matter how good you are, you will see that you could have been better. And so you regret. You regret every second and moment that passed away that you didn't, you know, do one more little thing or do your actions with a bit more sincerity and so on and so forth. But this, the only reason why this is possible and the only reason that allows you to say this is Yawm al is because you're clearly seeing that you could have done more, that there was more to attain. And so the problem was not with what's in place. The problem is with you. The problem is you didn't put in the work. And so this is the biggest to us, I think, you know, the most practical lesson from all of this to us is we need to put in the work. It's not because we're not feeling it and seeing it now that it's not there. So this is the importance of the constant remembrance, constant, put yourself in a state, surround yourself with things that constantly remind you, the nature of this world, the nature of the next world, and what you're supposed to be doing here, so that you minimize the hasra. I don't think anyone can remove the hasra, but I think we can minimize it, the regret. Okay? Any other questions, concerns? Comments? Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a really good question. So the car example is basically to say, we see that if there is no further direction to life, than life, then you're basically going through life, fulfilling one desire after another aimlessly. And you need something like this example to kind of hit you that we're not really doing anything different than the driver driving around in his car, you know, filling the gas, changing the tires, changing the oil, going to the next station, repeating the same thing, day in, day out, year in, year out, until you know he gets into an accident or something and the car dies. How are we different than? unless he is going towards a place, unless he's going to do something with that car. But if that's the example where he's just going from one gas station to another, refueling, you know, meeting the desires, and that's it, there's no higher purpose than that, yeah, we're exactly in that situation. And so this is where I thought, you know, we can have a a lecture perhaps to talk about the meaning. If this is not met, if there is no meaning coming beyond life what's the alternative kind of what we did with the materialism and the afterlife what's the alternative just to look at a few philosophies that have emerged as a result of that answer there is no afterlife therefore there is no meaning and what they have tried to do and we'll see you know to us is this convincing or is the alternative better the alternative being there is a religion and there is a God and there is an afterlife. Okay, excellent question. Anything else? Okay, we're good.